Father and our God, we are grateful this evening that we do have a rock that is higher than I. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would indeed be able to call upon that rock without reluctance and without hesitancy, because we know that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask, think, or even imagine. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would cause our hearts this evening to be attentive to what you will say to us. 
and challenge us to be willing and ready to call upon the rock when there is a need for us to do so. Lord, we all need you people here today. I need your enabling, your strengthening. And Lord, we all need a word from you. Speak to our hearts, O Lord, we pray, and cause us to be attentive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if any of us have prayed that prayer. Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Because we are so used to them, we can usually take the pressures of everyday living in stride. But with few exceptions, there will be some experiences that will totally overwhelm us. And that's what the writer David is talking about in that psalm. It may be a family crisis, it may be a financial reversal, or even a financial disaster. It may be sickness or death. It may be a an inner struggle against invisible spiritual forces. But regardless of what it is, it sinks us. It overpowers us. It stuns us and shocks us and we collapse under the blow. We're simply overwhelmed. While David was no stranger to such times, his amazing relationship with God enabled him to find the secret of being triumphant at such times. And that's what we want to look at tonight. What was David's secret? During many, many dangerous times when circumstances look completely bleak and unhopeless, David learned not just to cast his burdens on the Lord, but to leave them there. Now, we all say, well, I do that. Whenever I have a problem and burdens, I cast them on the Lord. Well, you see, the difference with David and difference with us is we don't leave them there all the time. If God doesn't act quickly enough, soon enough for our satisfaction, our satisfaction or our liking, we take our burdens back. And we decided we're going to take matters into our own hands. Child, like, child, give me my things. Let me take my things and do what I feel like doing. And so we take our burdens back. David had learned to take his burdens to the Lord. And regardless of whether he thought he had second thoughts that he may be able to do a better job, he left them there. And so our text this evening is Psalm 61 is a, is a prayer for security and assurance which reveals one of those cliff-hanging dilemmas in David's life. You see, the crushing weight of his circumstances squeezes this unique prayer from David's heart. And uh, the pure expressiveness of this prayer is so exceptional that no one has ever been able to outdo it since. No one. As a result, thousands of God's people... For thousands of God's people, it has become a timeless language during experiences of persecution, of sorrow, and of suffering. Why? 
because it articulates what many people feel but can never adequately express. And so the first thing we see is David making a present appeal motivated by God's past deliverance. The psalm is divided into two sections, four verses in each section. And the first section deals with David's appeal. And the only reason why David is making this kind of appeal is because God had come through for him in the past. He was able to reflect on when he had been down this road before. And he called upon God and God came to his rescue. And so the first four verses focus on David's appeal, which is motivated by his past deliverance. And if there was any familiar sound in the throne room of of the universe, it was the voice of David. He was a praying man. Verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? How many times have we prayed like this? You find yourself in a crisis, in problems, in difficulties, and you go before God in prayer. How many times have you prayed like this? Simple, straightforward. It's what might be considered a prayer of childlike faith. And that's what this is. No elaborate words. The childlike faith of God's children is so delightful to God's heart that it guarantees his immediate attention. As far as David was concerned, it didn't matter how far away from whom he was. He was conscious that God was God is never limited by geographic boundaries. Never limited in any way. And so this is a good uh, uh, relevancy for us to take from this passage. Even while we are among strangers in strange places, we are never abandoned by God. We can be assured that God's all-surpassing presence and power is always with us. Fuck, he promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always. And he goes on and says, even to the ends of the earth. And you see, David elaborates that a little bit in, 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 this, in this passage, as we saw in the song. Even to the ends of the earth, God promises he's going to be there for us. But sometimes, somehow, we just don't seem to believe that. We just don't seem to recall that. When those times of crisis overwhelms us and as our, our hearts are fainting, we forget everything. David was thinking about the boundary where safety and deliverance looked distant. When he said, from the end of the earth... I call to you when my heart is faint or my heart is overwhelmed. Ever been there? I'm sure we've all been there, right? He saw himself at the point where life ended and death began. We call it death's door. That's where David found himself. Even though the exhaustion of his physical and emotional state totally overwhelmed him. He knew that the throne of grace was only a breath away. So what does he do? He did what some believers are hesitant to do in times of crisis. When those situational crises come in our lives, 
we have a tendency to forget everything that God ever promised that he would do for us, specifically when those times come. He draws near to God to receive mercy and find grace to help him in his time of need by crying out, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, I recall a, a situation I had some years ago. I, I, one of the ministries I, would, I was involved in was driving a bus. And uh, we, we, we had a lot of people that we had to drop home. And one thing with bus driving, uh, the driver always left home earlier than everybody else and got home later than everybody else. And uh, when you're driving a standard shift vehicle, that's a lot of work. You're driving all over the island from east to west, north, south. And I remember one evening I had just uh, read the psalm. And it probably was on my mind. And I was dropping folks home and they went from one end of the island and there's a lot of people. Despite the fact that it was a brand new bus, it was still a lot of work driving a standard shift bus. And uh, I took a lady home out uh, where the six-legged roundabout was. I dropped, she was supposed to go home, the elderly lady, she was about 80 years old. And when I got there, she said to me, I'm not coming here. I'm going to my, do- my other daughter. She had two daughters. One of them lived there. The other daughter lived by Powerless Island Bridge. Now, you know the distance. And she was almost the last person to drop home. Boy, and I was so overwhelmed. I said, Lord, I said, Lord, lead me to the rock. And every time I read this time, I remember that, that incident. And so I had to drive all the way back out there. And she never said she was going there. But it was overwhelming for me that evening because I was really tired. And I couldn't wait to drop the last person home so that I could go home. But what do we do when we're overwhelmed like that? David said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. A rock indicates a place of safety. But sometimes when people are so overwhelmed by crisis, you know what happens? They lose all sense of direction about where that rock is. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there. You know where the rock is. We all know where the rock is, don't we? But sometimes we are so overwhelmed by the crisis or whatever we're going through, we forgot. We forget where the rock is. Well, that was not the, that was not the case for David. We become overwhelmed. We know where the rock is, but we forget to cry out to the rock for help. Not so with David. His cry had clear direction. It was aimed directly at the ears and heart of God. He didn't lose any sense of direction. A genuine spiritual instinct tells David that he needs a rock for protection. But not only that. It tells him that he needed divine guidance to reach that rock. Couldn't make it on his own. Needed help to get there. Even though you know where the rock is, you need some help to get to that rock. And so the essence of his prayer would sound something like this. Get me to that rock. I need to get to that rock. I can't get there by myself. So Lord, please lead me there. That's the essence of what he is saying. He knew where the rock is. And there's no doubt the rock David is referring to is God himself. There's no doubt that this rock is God. 
In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 32, we read, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The rock, indeed, is none other than God himself. But what is so interesting here is that this rock metaphor is never used anywhere in the Bible to refer to just mere man. The rock must be someone much greater than man, because if not, man can never find protection in it. It's got to be something bigger, something greater. This metaphor is also an inference to the deity of Christ. By asking God to lead him to himself, the rock of ages, David humbly admits that he doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't have the strength, he doesn't have the wisdom to get there on his own. And that's what we need when we come to those points in our lives when we are overwhelmed, when our heart is fainting. We need the humility and the wisdom to realize that we need to get to that rock. We know where it is, but we need some help to get there. How thankful we can be that the rock is higher than anything that can ever cause us any kind of trouble whatsoever. We can be grateful for that. So let me jog your memory and test your trust tonight by asking, when was the last time you were so overwhelmed by grief that like David, you cried out, Lord, lead me to the rock? That is higher than I. When was the last time that you were so overwhelmed by deep sorrow. That like David you cried out Lord lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. When was the last time you were so overwhelmed by all kinds of trouble. That like David you cried out Lord lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. Than I. When was the last time you were so overwhelmed by testing? Devil has been getting on your case left, right, and center, testing you in every conceivable way that he could think of. And like David, you cried out, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When was the last time you had co workers who put you through all kinds of trials to see how much of a believer you are? And like David, You desperately cried out, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When was the last time you were so overwhelmed with temptation? You know, they're always there. You don't have to look far to see temptation. And like David, you cried out, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. See, I submit to you tonight that it doesn't, it's not a matter of if, but when. Because all of these perplexities, are part and parcel of every believer's pilgrimage in this life on planet earth. It's only a matter of time. We're all going to face something that is going to so overwhelm us that our heart's going to be fainting. And we're going to need to cry out. And we're going to need to ask for help. But we're also going to need to ask for direction and leading to get to where we need to go. So in reflecting on God's past faithfulness, he says in verse 3, For you have been my refuge, 
a strong tower against the enemy. And David had a, had a lot of history that he was reflecting on here. During his many travels, David often came across towering, huge towering rocks that provided him with shelter from sudden storms and relief from the scorching heat of the sun. So he knew from experience the contentment of sitting in the shadow of a huge rock while everything, everything around him got scorched by the ferocious heat of the sun. He knew what that felt like. And so he's talking from experience. He also remembered the many towering rocks that studded the hills of his homeland where he found himself occasionally hiding for safety when his enemies were chasing him. In fact, it's believed that this, that this psalm, that David wrote this psalm on one occasion when he was forced to run for his life during Absalom's rebellion. And uh, he just narrowly escaped being killed by Saul. History tells us that that was the incident that prompted David to pen the words of this psalm. And so he was speaking from experience. In essence, he was saying, been there, done that. He knew what he was talking about. He had been through this experience before. And so the relevancy for us then is how fitting to think of God as a mighty rock today for each of us where we can find safety and security just like David did when he encountered his difficulties. God is the rock that David had proven to be his dependable safe haven and tower of strength. Just as Solomon declares when he wrote, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. David is probably thinking the same thing. What God has done for David back then, he will do for you and me today if we'll trust him. And if we're willing to call out to him when our heart is overwhelmed, when our heart is fainting, are we going to cry out, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I? When men fought in early wars, their weapons progressed from rocks and sticks and spears and arrows. And then came the bullets and the artillery shells. But with the invention of the airplane, it became possible for men to fly higher than the guns on the ground could reach them. Today, the race continues to build planes that can fly higher than any artillery can reach. And today, they have what is called smart bombs or precision-guided missiles uh, that they use uh, that aircraft cannot get away from. But these smart bombs, they can reach their target with pinpoint accuracy, guaranteeing absolute certainty of destruction. But you and I can thank God tonight that as believers today, we have a rock that is higher than all of the missiles Satan has in his arsenal. No matter what he throws at you, we have a rock that is higher that we can call upon. When we claim refuge 
in the Lord like David did, we are beyond the reach of Satan's missiles and artillery. And this is exactly what David is claiming when he said in verse 4, Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. And notice that little word, Selah. He says, think about that for a minute. Just stop and think about it for a minute. Get a drift of what I'm saying. And so I submit to you tonight that there's absolutely no way that this kind of prayer will fail to touch the throne of God. No way. There's no way that God could hear a prayer like this and says, you know, okay, hold on. I got some business over there in Iraq I need to take care of. I'll, I'll check you out later. There's no way that God cannot respond to a prayer like this. Why? Because it, it embodies two things. The kind of tender affection and simple trust that God could never, ever refuse. See, God wants us to come to him with simplicity. Simple trust, simple childlike faith, and tender affection. This is the kind of prayer that puts God on Dave and David on the same page. No wonder God himself called David a man after his own heart. David often found himself on the same page with God. And this prayer is one of those occasions. David was willing to settle for nothing less than God's refuge. When he said, let me take refuge. And this is nothing new. This is nothing new for David. Because earlier he wrote in Psalm 9. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed. A what? Refuge. There's that word again. A refuge in times of what? Trouble. Times of sorrow. In times of grief. In times of death. In times of financial problems and difficulties. In times when your neighbor don't get along with you. When they're getting on your case and they're trying to cause you to, to lose your faith. He's a refuge in all those times. He's a refuge when you're driving on the street and someone cuts across you and you almost get in an accident and you want to say something that you know a godly person shouldn't say. He's a refuge in all those times. And that's what David is talking about here. Now the Hebrew word often used for trouble in the Psalms means a tight place. Sounds familiar? We all know what it means to be caught in a tight place, right? We've all been there. We know all about it. We've all had those occasions. Sometimes it feels as if the trial is, is squeezing us to death. And there's not even breathing room. But happy is the child of God who has learned from such uncomfortable situations that the Lord is a refuge, no matter what kind of a tight spot the world tries to put us in. God is a refuge. And then he talks about the shelter of your wings. The image he intends to express in this phrase, the shelter of your wings, is, is that in the same way that young birds find safety under the outstretched wings of the, of the parent bird, David said he would seek and find protection in God. That's trust. That's confidence. So let me ask you again tonight. When was the last time you find yourself so overwhelmed by your problems 
that you cried out to God, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Because you were motivated to do so because of how God delivered you in the past. That's what David is doing here. He didn't forget what God did for him in the past. He remembered all those tight spots that he got himself into or that he found himself in. And he cried out to God and God was able to deliver him. You see, the only thing that overwhelmed David more than his present problems was his constant gratitude. That's the only thing that overwhelmed him more than the problems that he was going through. His constant gratitude to God for his providing care, which results in him responding with the second part of this, this, this our prayer, verses 5 to 8. He responds with a promise to serve God. See, the blessings of God are reciprocal. God will do for us, but we must also, in return, do for him by expressing our gratitude for what he has done for us. Now, David, in the first part of the psalm, talks about how God delivered him. He found himself in all kinds of problems and how God came through for him. Now he's talking about what he's going to do for God in response to what God has done for him. Notice verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Now, notice the word heritage here. It's the same as inheritance, possession, and it has a number of Old Testament applications. Here are just a couple of them. It applies to the land of Canaan. Exodus 6.8. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give to you for a possession. I am the Lord. In other words, like we would say today on the streets, uh, I will give it to you as a possession. This is what I'm going to do, you, do for you. I'm God and I tell you that. It also applies to the people of Israel. Psalm 94, 5. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. Not my heritage, your heritage, he says. And then it applies to the word of God. Psalm 119 and 111. Your testimonies are a heritage forever. For you are the joy of my heart. That's something that we should always be able to say. But it also applies to children in a family. One that we often use when we're doing baby dedications here. Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb. A reward. Not a burden. A reward. A heritage. Or look at it as an inheritance. Same word. It also applies to the tabernacle or the temple. Jeremiah 12, 7. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. And then it applies to protection from harm. And this is the application that David, the context that David is using it here in Psalm 61. Isaiah 54, 7. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Now, isn't that something good to know? No weapon. Think of all the weapons that are in the world today. No weapon. In other words, God says, I don't care what, what it is, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. And you do that with the word of God, by the way. This is a heritage of the servants of the Lord. 
and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. In other words, I is God and I tell you that, is what he's saying. And so according to verse 5, David prayed for God's protection based entirely on what God had already promised his children as expressed by the prophet Isaiah in this verse. Isaiah 54. Not only did God hear him, but God gave him the heritage of those who fear his name, those who reverence his name, those who respect him, those who honor him. Now you can't be disrespectful to God and disobedient to God and expect to claim this promise. It doesn't work that way. It says he will give us a heritage to those who fear his name. And in the New Testament, the apostle Paul is on the same page. When he said in, uh, in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. But it's interesting to note here, to see how David jumps from the first to the third person in the next two verses. Notice, verse 6, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now one of the things that we note here is that since committed Israel, Israelites remained loyal to David as king because they feared the Lord, David had no concerns about rebellion from the nation of Israel or against him as king. There was no fear, there was no concern about that because the children of Israel were committed Israelites and they were going to remain loyal to David as king in fear of the Lord. So that was not what he was praying about. That was not a concern that he had. And as a result, he prayed that God would extend the life of the king, that is his own life, and that God would continue to protect him with his or by his faithful love. Now, the reason why this is interesting is because Although he was still no doubt referring to himself and to the covenant God had made with him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, his words are more fitting for another king. Only applied to David, these words could be understood as David asking God to give him a long life and a long kingdom. That's how these words could be understood based on the way David says it. But applied Literally, but literally, they are literally fulfilled when applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the writer of Hebrews brings this out in a couple of verses. He highlights that his power, that Jesus has power of an endless life in spite of his persecution. In Hebrews uh, 7, 16, Jesus became a priest. Not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but notice, by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed, or, as one version puts it, by the power of an endless life. So it is this passage that's also an inference to Jesus Christ. And then the other thing we notice is, his years will go on for all generations. Okay, so this voice, another reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 1.12. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. Who could that be referring to other than the Lord Jesus himself? And then he makes another entrance here. His throne will endure before God forever. Verse 8 of Hebrews 1. 
But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your rule, you rule with a scepter of justice. And so we see David's prayer also has a reference to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that he makes here in these verses. And so we see a psalm before us, which opened with such extremity, all kinds of problems, but actually closes in tranquility. Verse 8. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is David's response to God for God doing what God did for him. Having reached the rock that was higher than himself, David now expresses gratitude by resolving to constantly sing praises to the Lord and pay vows of worship, love, and service every day that the Lord would allow him to remain on planet earth. That's his response to God. He determines not to be like those who, are, who make extravagant vows under pressure. Know anybody like that? Lord, I haven't bothered you for 25 years. To get me out of this mess, I wouldn't bother you for another 25. How many times have we make extravagant praises like that to God just to get out of the jam that we find ourselves in? And when God gets us out, we forget all about it. People who make extravagant vows under pressure but promptly forgets all about them when the crisis passes. You see, David was not one who, what, what we might recall, leaps in prayer, but limps in praise. That's not him. A lot of believers do that. They're great at leaping in prayers. But when it comes to praise, they go limping like a dog that's got injured. David says, I'm not like that. David made a promise to praise God every single day. And so the bottom line is that in both the good times and the bad times, of his life, David constantly praised God. That's the response that you give to God for how he responds to us when we cry out to him, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. During the American financial panic of 1871, it was this same Psalm, Psalm 61, that inspired Erastus Johnson Depend the words of this hymn. O then to the rock, let me fly. And I quote, O sometimes the shadows are deep, and rough seems the path to the goal, and sorrows sometimes how they sweep, like tempests down over the soul. O sometimes how long seems the day, and sometimes how weary my feet, but toiling in life's dusty way, the rock's blessed shadow, how sweet. O oh, near to the rock, let me keep. If blessings or sorrows prevail, or climbing the mountain way steep, or walking the shadowy vale. O oh, then to the rock, let me fly, to the rock that is higher than I. Oh, then to the rock, let me fly to the rock that is higher than I. Question is, 
Do you find something to praise God for every day? Every single day? Or do you find something to gripe about? If you find something to praise God every day, as you do, you'll find that your heart is elevated, lifted from the daily distractions that would cause you to gripe and grumble to lasting confidence. And you'll be able to identify with David's prayerful cry, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we are thankful for your servant David. And what a fitting example he gives us tonight in this psalm that has been a blessing to so many lives. May it be a blessing to each of us here tonight when we find ourselves, perhaps during the course of this coming week, burdened with difficulties, trials, temptations, sorrow, or grief. May we, like David, have the reflection on how you've delivered us in the past and be able to cry out, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But let us not stop there. But once you have delivered us, help us to be mindful as David did to praise you and to thank you and to live for you in a way that would bring you honor, glory, and praise rather than reproach. May we, O Lord, respond not with extravagant praise. Help us to leap in prayer, but also to leap in praise. This we pray. Pray, Lord, that you would separate us tonight with your blessed benediction. Take us to our homes in peace and safety, we pray, as we look to you and as we seek to honor you and praise you. For it is in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and make you a blessing for him. Amen. Amen.